Hello and welcome to another edition of Back of the Grid. I'm your host, Stu, and I'm joined, as always, by Chris. Hello. And by Tom. Hello. And today we're going to shepherd you through the exciting race that was the uh, Eiffel Grand Prix. Um, you sound beginning. very convinced by your own words there. <laughs> well, <laughs> eventful. It was definitely eventful. Things happened. Yeah, things happened. Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton equals Michael Schumacher's record of 91 wins. Obviously, a huge achievement. This is a good, appropriate place to do it. Um, and he took a nice gift from the Schumacher family as a result as well. It just kind of felt right, didn't it? The way the whole way it happened, like for it to be in Germany, the fact that Mick Schumacher was there to, uh, yeah, hand over that helmet. And even I've seen some people point out, like, Obviously, we we used to hear in the British national anthem followed by the German one just because Mercedes and Hamilton win most things. But the fact that there was a Schumacher helmet there on the podium and then we had the German anthem kind of felt right somehow. Yeah, yeah there's definitely was, something it, cool it was appropriate, about that. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and of course the Schumacher S's at the Nürburgring as well. I, I I always I heard that like a few mentioned a few times, and that kind of mm. like made me feel kind of a bit warm and fuzzy inside just to know that if he did win it here, that kind of makes it all the more apt at a track where there are corners named after Michael Schumacher. Like, yeah. yeah, that's really Cause, cool. Because had he won the last race, obviously he would have like taken the record for himself this time, and yeah, it was just kind of nice that it felt more of a, a shared achievement kind of thing. Just through all the circumstance. Um, I mean, we've known it's coming sooner or later anyway, but you just can't understate what achievement it is, can you? Um, As we've said all along, it's a record that no one ever thought would be broken. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even sort of, even five years ago, you probably Mm, wouldn't have thought that, no, less than five years ago, maybe four years ago, even you'd never have thought that it'd go it'd go this far. But such is the dominance of the combination, really, of Hamilton and Mercedes together. Um, they're just absolutely unbeatable, and mm. yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an absolutely enormous achievement. So uh, many congratulations to both team and driver on that one. Well, Schumacher um, himself always said the record's there to be broken, so. Yeah, it's you know, it's. I think it's just sad that he couldn't be there for it. Unfortunately, I'd, I'd like to think he was still watching on TV, and you know, the Schumacher family can sort of uh, enjoy it for what it is. But obviously, mm-hmm. we don't really yeah. know. Unfortunately, I think this weekend it maybe started to hit home for Hamilton as well, though, kind mm. of where he actually is in in the history of the sport now, because there were mo- like uh, there were moments, especially when uh, Mick handed over the helmet to him where you could you could kind of see it in his body language that it sort of it hit him a little bit like wow i have i have actually reached that point now like you could just see the way you know the way it was it was very very reminiscent of um it was a pole record where he got the center helmet wasn't it yeah when he broke his poles record yeah Yeah, so like it it was very reminiscent of that like that clearly meant a lot to him to be to be mentioned alongside such an important name in the sport's history. And I think then obviously this, uh, uh, having that, that happen a second time is again, it, it's maybe just hitting home from a little bit of like, he obviously knows he will go down in the sport's history as, as one of the best, but I, I think moments like this sort of really bring him kind of back down to, wow, it, it is actually happening and, and kind of just takes him out of that sports person focus bubble and brings him back to the, 
wow, where am I kind of bubble. Yeah, especially kind of being handed something like tangible that belonged to one of your heroes that you're now kind of on the same level as. Mm. Yeah, it's really special. It really Um, is. Speaking of helmets, did you see Sebastian Vettel's helmet this weekend? I thought you were going to mention Marco. (laughs) 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 I thought it was going to be like a weird link into something he said about Albon. (laughs) No, 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 no. It's still relevant to the the thing we're actually talking about. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was like a sort of hybrid of his and Schumacher's or something, wasn't it? Yeah, so he so Vettel had had, had the paint job done as as his helmet, as his normal helmet for this season, and then um embossed or, or sort of extruded out from the surfaces of the, of the helmet would be the the lines of the 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 shapes that make up Schumacher's helmet. Oh yeah. So if you would say like you know when you you're a kid and you get a leaf and then you get a crayon and you draw <laughs> on a piece of paper above it, if you were to take a helmet shaped piece of paper and rub a crayon all over it, you end up with Schumacher's helmet, which is quite cool. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I, he'd also, I mean, that was um, the first thing that occurred to me <laughs> when I saw the, <laughs> the helmet. Anyway, he'd also as well where he's got like the German flag stripe, he'd change the red to be the kind of like neon red that Schumacher always used to use, rather than the sort of standard red that the German yeah. flag is. Just, That's cool. Yeah, nice yeah there's yeah, there's a really nice shot of him. I think it was on Friday when there was nothing happening. Um, him just like showing the helmet to uh to Mick Schumacher and like showing him the details and stuff. It was a uh, just another nice little touch. Yeah, it was very 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 nice moment actually. Yeah, um, yeah. So with with all that said, and many congratulations to to Hamilton as I say, huge huge achievement. Let's talk about the actual race weekend itself. Um, no running on Friday, Chris. No, which, I mean, I think when we saw the weather forecast, we all thought this was a possibility, but um, obviously it was the helicopter stuff that stops it, and that is understandable. Safety comes first. And to F1's credit, by Saturday morning, they come up with an alternative plan so that if it was similar conditions, they would actually be able to run, which is... a uh, but doesn't this just prove that we as we've been saying for a long time and a lot of people have we don't really need this much practice <laughs> it's like it didn't... i mean if there if there ever was an example of case in point i mean we had a gentleman finishing the points who didn't even have any practice well exactly yeah, we so, was. yeah. yeah that's very true i mean he's qualifying understandably wasn't brilliant out, but he was trying to find where he was with the exactly, car. Exactly, yeah. And um, he finished where he did in the race. So I, I think this is a good example of it as any to say why we don't actually need quite as much time no, in not terms at all. of practice. Um, and we could utilize that time better for the sport, I think. And I mean, uh, Hamilton and Bottas both said they were fine with it and they'd be happy with having this weekend format all the time which is i mean especially coming from bottas who is mr friday like yeah it's like the joke i made to you though during the race he's what he's done is instead of using all that pace on the friday he saved it he saved it until saturday yeah grabbed himself a pole honestly the only tangible difference was the fact that we saw verstappen in the first half hour of fp3 which is maybe (laughs) the first time that's ever happened (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah one thing that did happen quite a lot during these sort of non-run practice sessions was Ted and uh, uh, Crofty just 
crying out for V8s and V10s engines again, which I found a bit boring, especially after last week's episode on our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been interesting hearing all of the discussion that's happened in the like since the last race coming from different things, you know, some really interesting. Like there's um Chamber put up a really cool video about uh hydrogen as an option and the pros mm. and cons of that. Um which we sort of touched on last week, we didn't really dig into, but um, yeah. yeah. My favorite part of the Friday practice was when Christian Horner was basically repeating everything we'd said last week on the podcast, (laughs) (laughs) which I I really enjoyed that. (laughs) Nice to have someone actually in the know um, agreeing with us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, But anyway, let's talk about... We could have just done with a better representative than Horner because not everyone likes Horner. Well, yeah. We maybe need we maybe need total wolf's opinion. Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> savage. Absolutely savage. Talk. Well, I mean, Horn, people do sort of question Horner's me- methods and motives sometimes. Well, yeah, so. I think definitely. Like, we, yeah, when when he does, he does have a, a sense of. There's always like a, an angle, isn't there? With uh, <laughs> yeah, Horner. exactly. I feel like his angle is he wants to get on the show. Let's give him a ring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so let's let's go into let's talk uh, about let's the race. Into it then. Yeah. So I guess race at the front ways, Bottas obviously got pole position um, fairly convincingly in the end. Um, didn't have as good a start as Hamilton, but he was really feisty into turn one and for a change, really put yeah, really took the fight to Hamilton and held the lead, which is something we've been crying out for him to do for. Well, at the very least, all of this season, probably even longer <laughs> than that. Um, and yeah. it was, it was, it was good to see. Like Hamilton himself, after the race, said after that happened, he was in the car, like, hmm, "Good on you." That was that was impressive. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a bit too little, too late at this point in the season, but it was still good to see him actually taking it to Hamilton wheel to wheel. Yeah, it's good. you want to see him actually racing, don't you? He, he's, you know, there's a lot of responsibility, I think that um, Bottas hasn't been living up to, and that is to take the fight to mm-hmm. the world champion in that in, in equal machinery as you. And um, yeah, it looked like in, at least into turn one, well, actually throughout, throughout the time he was running on track, he, he, he was sort of, he was obviously really, really pushing. And um, yeah, he, uh, he locked up into turn one, didn't he? That was the, um, that was his undoing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, the beginning of the end, at least. And is is that a tire thing? Like, obviously, they were all struggling for tire temperature anyway. But had he maybe just taken a bit too much out of the tires a bit too soon compared to Hamilton? Mm, was it just maybe a big, but big mistake? I think but, it was more likely a mistake myself. Yeah. Tom, what do you think? I was I was just going to say that I think. With no disrespect to Bottas, this this is potentially the difference between what makes a great driver is that when being pushed by somebody like he was, those mistakes don't happen, or they happen a lot less. And and it, I just I was really upset to see it. I was like, mm. when when I saw the first few corners and the first few laps, I was thinking he's actually gonna he's actually gonna at least fight as long as he possibly can with this. Um, and then as soon as Hamilton started kind of reining him back in a bit, we saw the mistake. And whether it was because he knew Lewis was kind of making a charge towards him or not, I don't know. You, you're never going to know that. But it was just, it's a little bit of a, 
oh, here we go. Kind of because you knew it was coming as soon as he made that mistake. You knew exactly how it was going to unravel after that, didn't you? Yeah, because there was a moment like early on where it's like he could be on for back to back wins here. Like maybe he's gonna you know keep pushing this championship at least until the last few races, and then yeah, that all just blew up in everyone's face, didn't it? Really? Yep. Yeah, ultimately, he didn't make a huge difference because his engine gave up. Interestingly, both Mercedes had taken their third power units for the season for this race. So it was a brand new, complete power unit he got in there. Um, they think it was the MGUH that gave up. So he's likely facing a grid penalty, if not the next race in Portugal, in the coming races. Um, not very often you see a Mercedes go pop. No, the MGUH though is the thing that goes it is. most often on most cars. So yeah. there's a reason that's the bit they're getting rid of in uh yeah. 2022. Yeah. Complex things, these uh, motorized turbos, aren't they? Yeah, it's almost like having something that's um basically exists to work with extreme temperatures is a is a bad thing to have in a car that's uh pushing <laughs> the limits, but yeah, Who they knew? must be getting over a thousand degrees in temperature. Oh, they've got to be, yeah. To be rotating as fast as they are, the hot exhaust gases running through them. I don't know the exact figures for it, but just the exhausts are like, you know, around the headers, the engine is around about a thousand degrees. So, yeah. 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 Crazy, crazy, crazy temperatures. There's no wonder I was breaking. No, I don't think they'll be particularly missed by many people. <laughs> Turbochargers in general on cars, I think, are just a bad idea a problem (laughs) waiting to happen yeah like every car i've had that's been turbocharged i've had nothing but trouble with but anyway (laughs) that's that's a different thing that's a different (laughs) podcast yes yes after that glimmer of hope the gap is now 69 points between hamilton and bottas which is almost three wins he's got in hand now yeah yes yeah it's over it's all over it has been for a while but it's definitely over now Mm. we've got to that point in the season like namely just over halfway through where we start saying yep championship's over (laughs) basically yeah yeah um thankfully there's lots of fight going on behind the mercedes well behind verstappen because verstappen he came second and there was a big old gap in front of him and a big old gap behind him because (laughs) he never really sees other cars for more than the first few laps Mm. these days Mm. It, that's why he doesn't go out in Friday practice because most of his race probably feels like Friday practice because <laughs> yeah. he doesn't see anyone. He just yeah. like trundles around on his own. Let's let's talk about Nico Hulkenberg. He was back. Yay! Um, back at racing point again, this time <laughs> standing in for Lance Stroll who uh, had uh, a dodgy stomach. <laughs> they had issues. <laughs> yes. We'll not go into any more detail than that. <laughs> Um, he had even less notice this time than when he rocked up at Silverstone. It was about half an hour before uh, practice three that Lance Stroll decided he wasn't going to be able to take part in the weekend. So Hockenberg yeeted it down the autobahn. He just about <laughs> turned up by the end of practice one. So uh, by practice three. Well, it was the first practice session that happened, but it was practice three. Um <laughs> in his Porsche that turned out to uh, have previously existed to KK Rosberg, which Nico Rosberg pointed out in the commentary, which was <laughs> a, a really niche fact, but an enjoyable one all the same. Yeah, I, I did enjoy that fact. And he said he's put like new suspension on it and a, and a wrap on it as well. Which yeah, it used to be That's really rad. silver and he made it black or something like that. The other way around, um, it was black the way around and he put yeah. a silver wrap on it, yeah, and then put yeah. like crazy suspension coilovers on it and stuff. Times must be really hard now. Is now Hulkenberg's not a um, 
full-time F1 driver is <laughs> going to buy used cars now. Yeah, but like that, I, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that suspension costs a few bob. If you're going to put new new components on it, why would you buy a brand new one? You know, that's. that's what I, I mean. I think a used version of that car probably costs more than all the cars that we've owned between us combined. <laughs> probably does, you know. <laughs> probably does. But yeah, he was sort of hastily rushed to the COVID stuff and he was ready just in time for qualifying. Uh, as Tom mentioned earlier, he basically had Q1 as his only practice of the weekend. Uh, still qualified. He was last, but he was only eight tenths off a place in Q2, which is pretty damn impressive. Like watching his times go down as he was going round in uh, Q1 was was really fun to watch, like how quickly he picked the pace mm. up. Um, and yeah, managed to finish in a really impressive eighth place. Um, impressive and good for him and his future career, but also some really important points for Racing Point because as we've mentioned several times, that midfield battle's like crazy close. Yeah. yeah. And it's actually, it, it keeps Hulkenberg 15th in the standings now. And as a few people have pointed out, over the last seven races, he's outscored Sebastian Vettel, despite the fact that he's only taken part in two of those seven races. <laughs> that is an amazing fact. Wow. It's crazy, isn't it? That's I think, insane. I, I'm sure I saw somebody say he's outscored um, all of the Ferrari customer teams, hasn't he? If you total that up, uh, yeah, probably. He's pro- Leclerc's probably the only Ferrari engine person that's outscored him. I would guess in that point because he's had what a four fourth and an eighth, hasn't he, in those races? You've got um, Haas have three points and Alpha have five, yeah, which puts them on eight total. And <laughs> 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 uh, Hulkenberg has ten points now. That's Maybe hard reading total. in Marinello, isn't it? Yeah, I love these like strange seasons where you get an extra driver and they actually score points. And yeah, it, it, it must be. I mean, if you're George Russell, it's it's tough because he's twenty first of a twenty yeah. car field. <laughs> yeah, which you know that's not a nice feeling. That's I'm grim. sure, but that's certainly not his fault. Um, so because Grosjean finally scored points this season. Yeah, Grosjean yeah, so was ahead rock of Giovinazzi, Raikkonen. Roman Grosjean, Kevin Magnussen, Nicholas Latifi, and George Russell. Wow. That is insane statistics. That's so cool. I love that. It was just all in all really impressive for him, though, wasn't it? Like To, to do yeah. what he did with that little preparation time was... I mean, there's not much more he can do to put himself in the shop window for a seat next year. Is there? Um, his options are running out a bit at this point, but... You never know. I... It's not over till it's over. It's it does leave us in a bizarre situation where him and Perez still don't have seats for next year, and the options yeah. are disappearing very quickly. Mm. But time will tell, I suppose. Yeah. After we lost Bottas, we actually had a fight for the podium spots with cars that weren't Mercedes or Red Bulls. Um, <laughs> Ricardo sort of was. The one with the pace early on. Um, I think the fact that he made pretty quick work of getting past Leclerc as well helps because a lot of people took quite a while to get past him. Perez especially had to have a few attempts at getting past Leclerc before he could uh, make it stick, which let Ricardo pull out quite a tasty lead. Um, but he did end up on much older tyres than Perez. And do we think Perez would have caught him at the end if not for the safety car? Mm. Yes, I think he would have caught him. I don't know if he would have got past him, but he would have. Yeah, him. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if he'd have taken the place for him with Stu on that. Um, he'd have definitely been been in a position to have a go, but I, I don't know if he'd have um, 
actually been able to make anything of it. Yeah, it would have been. But according to the on-screen graphics, it would have been a, a green overtake. <laughs> green <laughs> difficulty. Mean? <laughs> yeah, a green difficulty. Uh, on the bars at the bottom, that oh, range from what, green to What was to his striking distance at that point? <laughs> that was, uh, I think, 10 lap striking distance. But at the 11 rate, laps to go. It's, it's just That's such nonsense, isn't it? Because like that was based, that they must have based that on like, one lap of of gain yeah. and then immediately after he was gaining way way more slowly so yeah. it just shows you how i mean just how bollocks those graphics are doesn't it really <laughs> yeah. yeah they had a they had a new graphic this weekend as well that showed the gains and losses in every team's gap to the mercedes yeah. and on paper it's a really interesting graphic but the version of it they put on screen just didn't give you nearly enough information to really know yeah. what you were looking at. It, it, and again, <laughs> it just seemed like a bunch of arbitrary numbers. It was a bit weird that I thought, like, as well, like, it's very difficult to quantify when you don't know that they're basically measuring them against the Mercedes. But when you don't know how much the Mercedes has gained in the first place, exactly, then yeah. it kind of makes it really difficult to quantify. What Mercedes yeah. are they comparing that to? Yeah, I, I understand that there's like a reference point, but like, yeah, there, you know, because the Mercedes developed, is, is it is it compared to the Mercedes at the start of the season? Like, Mercedes have obviously developed as well, so they should have some green in front of them. Like, it's weird. Like, mm. I, I just, yeah, I'd, I'd like to know more about how they've come up with that. Yeah, like a lot of these graphics, there's there's something potentially very interesting there, but the execution just isn't showing Lacks. us what it could be yeah yeah it just very much substance that's the problem yeah and that's why yeah. they get so much criticism because no one can understand them and <laughs> they're not really quantified in any way they're just it's just a series of of data points and images that don't really correspond to any real world references it's it's not you know they need to do better they need to do much better with those yes but yeah um the safety car removed the uh the tire advantage Perez had, and Ricardo was able to hold on for third place. Um, he even had to go up for Stappen for second at the restart briefly. That hmm. restart was hilarious. Like they were all locking up and running wide into the last corner, let alone the first corner when they were actually yeah. racing again. Yeah. It was, um, I mean, and once again, you heard all the drivers moaning about the safety car going slow and the tire temperatures, and then within a lap. Hamilton and Verstappen were setting new fastest laps of the race. So it's like, yeah. were they really that bad? And I, I suppose it does show you, though, as well, how much um, is put through a Formula One tyre. Mm. To to have such a considerable difference between going at the pace of the safety car and going at race pace, it does show you how much like kind of for, how much of a force goes through those tires in order mm. to heat them up in order to give you the performance that they they actually get from them it's not just like the these tires just work like and it shows how they are kind of built to the i guess the the speed that the car is designed to go at like they're not designed to go at a slower speed and it's i i find stuff like that weirdly interesting the fact that you can suddenly get performance as soon as you're able to put a lot of a lot of pressure through the tires and a lot of force through the tires and yeah. actually get them up to a working temperature. I mean, it's the it's, same with anything, but I still find yeah. it interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, a lot of it's brakes as well because a lot of the heat yeah. radiates out of the brake 
components into into the the the, the wheel and then subsequently into the tire itself so yeah yeah it's kind of like it's it's a it's a, it's a bigger thing than just like moving the tire around and getting exactly. the tire thing in it and that's like again another really really interesting part of it that that's another reason that you see them um doing a little bit kind of they're, they're all, that's why they're a bit stop started behind the safety car because yeah obviously putting heat through the brakes like you say is a good way to to generate some heat around the the, the rim and then obviously up into the tire so it's mm. it, it's a good thing i think it's a good thing to kind of make more casual viewers more aware of like these guys aren't just like i don't like hearing a moan about it but it, it's kind of making the more casual viewer aware that this is the reason why they've got a complaint and i don't i don't know if they ever do a good enough job of like martin brundle probably does but i don't know if anybody else within that presentation team does a good enough job of like saying and here is why they're saying what they're saying and and this is the the sort of the fact of the matter and this is what they're trying to do and this is why they're mm-hmm. trying to do it and i think martin brundle is probably one of the only people that's good at translating that into a more into more of a a general audience kind of language, I guess. Nico yeah, Rosberg actually has been doing that job a lot yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah, that is that's fair point. Nico has been quite good uh, in the times that he's been in commentary, like over practice sessions and qualities and stuff. His um, interview, I think, it was after <laughs> the race with uh, Carlos Sainz was amazing as well. When Sainz was being very coy about their graining problems, and Nico was like, "Oh, so what that means is the new front wing is doing this, 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 this and this." And Sainz was like, "Uh, you said that, not me." <laughs> <laughs> It is a bit, it's the old bull in a china shop interview technique, isn't it? He is a little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it's good. <laughs> it's good content. Yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's very entertaining. I bet they'd have been a bit more cautious on that restart had there have been gravel on the entire outside of turn one and not that little bit of yeah. tarmac that they were all using yeah. to run wide. Like lap one, I think only about three cars actually made the corner. Like they were like, waving at the apex on the way past it. It was almost like that hilarious video of the uh, Indy cars going around Circuit of the Americas. Yes. Yeah, with well, two turns. Just don't bother. Yeah, they just turn that, that straight into part of the corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of gravel traps, did you hear about the changes being made at Spa? No. no. So they're doing like, a, like an 80 million euro upgrade on Spa and they're building a load of new grandstands and stuff. But um, there's going to be a round of some kind of motorcycle endurance racing there in a year or two's time. Um, right. And obviously motorbike racing tends to prefer gravel traps for safety reasons. Yeah. Like when... Um, I can't remember which. I think MotoGP went to Silverstone. Like they had to revamp a lot of stuff and move barriers to put in gravel traps and things. So they are at Spa, um, replacing the tarmac runoff with gravel traps at La Source, Radion, Blanchemont, Lacombe, and Stavelo. Oh wow! Yeah, that's good news. There's basically a giant car park before. Exactly. So yeah. Amazing yeah. news. Yeah. So yeah, that's gonna be very cool to have Spa go because that's what Spa used to be, didn't it? Like, yeah used to be gravel traps everywhere and yeah, yeah. I, I, I will say some of those corners in a formula one car these days are not really corners and this is They're... the thing isn't it because it's like when um when MotoGP races at uh the red ball ring what is called turn two which barely exists in f1 car is a proper corner for MotoGP, and they have a big yeah. old gravel trap at the side of it for that very reason hmm. um same with woodcut at silverstone as well actually but anyway we are wildly off topic here yeah big time <laughs> Um, um, 
yeah, Ricardo podium, his first podium in over two years. Renault's first podium since Nick Heidfeld at the Malaysian Grand Prix in 2011. Um, I've seen some people try and claim it's been longer than that because they were Lotus Renault at that point. But yeah. the entry was, like the official entry was Renault at that point. So that is the one that okay. counts. Okay, um, I, can, I can take that. I, can, <laughs> I, will, I believe you. <laughs> I trust you. <laughs> Renault's new CEO, who we've mentioned before, Luca DeMeo, was in the garage to see it in person, and he was yeah, he was very looking excited, very wasn't he? Ex- yeah. It's it's an interesting contrast, isn't it, where you've got Honda's big wigs pulling out of F1 because they don't see a future in it, where and Renault's CEO is there in the garage celebrating with the mechanics. It's um, yeah, it just goes to show how like the attitude of the person at the top towards motorsport can play a big part in these things. I mean, he's yeah. he's been at quite a few races this season. He has, now, hasn't yeah. He? Like he's he's clearly got a, a vested interest in how the team is doing. And I mean, to be fair to them, they've they've been looking like being able to grab this given the right set of mm. circumstances for a few races now. So to actually finally get it and him have the opportunity to be there for it is probably quite quite nice. Yeah, nice feeling for him as a CEO. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, nice feeling for Cyril. Cyril will mm, be happy. Yeah, Cyril will be happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, good to see them finally get the podium. As you say, they'll be knocking the door off. Good to see Danny Rick up there again, even if he did forget to do the showy. But yeah, did you he, see the interview? Yeah, he, but he has yeah. actually done one just in his dressing room and put it on Instagram now. Oh, good. <laughs> it's not quite the same. It's just him like sat on a sofa with a little <laughs> bottle of champagne and he's drinking oh it from a shoe. Kind of, sounds yeah. kind of sad. Just a little yeah, bit, yeah. A, a lonely shoey. <laughs> Tell you what, he went for it though. He poured like half a bottle of champagne in it and had a good old swig. Fair, he wasn't just going to the motions. Lad. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about Alex Albon. Oh. He didn't have a bad Saturday. He qualified uh, fifth, I believe he was. Um, he probably should have been ahead of Leclerc, but I think that qualifying lap from Leclerc was just. Uh, it's just one of those laps he's been doing this year, isn't it? Getting way more out of that car than he should be able to do. Um, yeah. I think that's more the club being brilliant in that moment than Albon not being in particular. Uh, but his race just sort of fell apart, didn't it? He had a massive lock-up into turn three on the first lap, came very close to clouting somebody, massively flat-spotted his tyre, so he had to pit lap one. Sort of was making his way back through the pack, but... This seems to happen to him a lot. He has to pit early for some reason and then ends up sort of on the wrong tyre and can't quite make it work. Um, mm. Then he ended up uh, sort of passing Kvyat after Kvyat had missed the chicane. But then he just sort of drifted across to the left before he'd finished the pass, didn't he? And took out Kvyat's front wing. It was... I mean, it was clumsy. It was re- clumsy is the, the absolute word to describe it, it sadly. Yeah. Um, got himself a five-second penalty for that and a couple of penalty points in his license, which takes him up to seven points now. He eventually retired uh, with an overheating engine. Um, the team said something had punctured one of his radiators and his temperatures had gone sky high, but it wasn't good, was it? It was a pretty pretty poor day all around for him. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, it's really hard because obviously he's gotten himself into that position where he's damage another car and as a result of that that damage is probably, is probably debris from that that's punched his radiator so you mm. could say he's sort of ruined his own race really there he definitely mm. i mean th- there's the lock up he's obviously a driver under a lot of pressure at the moment regardless of what 
you know, Christian Horner might say. In fact, he did give him the old death rattle the other day. He said that Alexander Albon has the full support of the team. He's actually said it. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. So, yeah, as soon as they start saying that, as we say all the time, then, you know, you start to worry. Um, I I really hope he gets to the end of the season. Like, I think he absolutely 100% deserves to be... I don't don't see any other Red Bull driver doing any better than him. So I don't see why... Yeah, not at the moment. They'd they'd definitely have to look outside of the stable if they were going to find somebody that could do a better job at the minute. I mean, you'd say that Gasly possibly could with the way he's performed at Alpha Towery, but we know what kind of pressure that Red Bull put on him last time and they're currently putting on Albon. Like, it's... He's not an easy seat to be in. Um, so I, I don't think within the Red Bull stable there's anyone that would make a considerable difference suddenly in that yeah, car. I, I think, like, looking at the drivers that they've had in that car up to now, like, you know, they've had Gasly, who's an excellent driver, and they've had Albon, who's an also an excellent driver in basically his, his second year in the sport, don't forget. I don't think either of the two drivers that they've had in there have been the problem. I think... Max Verstappen is probably the problem because he probably makes it really bloody hard for his teammate. Mm. Well, it goes back to the the quote that I remember mentioning from Albon. I can't remember when it was exactly, but it was a few races ago. And he said in in an interview that um, I've driven with people who like a car that's really like front end focused, and and I've I've learned to deal with it. But I have never ever driven alongside someone who. Points like has the car set up so more so much towards the front end is what Max Verstappen does, and he, he said outright like I have never driven with someone who has the the the, the car the way that he has the car. Yeah. Um, mm. So I think that I think that that does go to say something about why maybe some drivers, if the car is designed around that, which it undoubtedly will be because it's it's a car essentially built for Max. They're not going to build the second car differently or, or that no. that much differently. Um, I think that that probably does have something to do with it. And the fact that Gasly's gone back to Alpha Tauri and been able to extract some performance out of that, just like he was doing back when it was Toro Rosso and he was there, it, I mean, there's something to it, I think, is what I'm getting at, I guess. Yeah. I think, did you know that um, Albon was supposed to have a new chassis this weekend, but then didn't because they didn't get to run it? In uh, in practice, oh really? I did not know about yeah, that. Yeah, so on Friday he was supposed to have a different chassis that was going to have different, slightly different mounting points for the suspension, so that he he could try out and see if he could um, get some more performance out of that. But um, in the end, they they did they had it all set up, but they didn't run it because they had to go back to the known quantity mm-hmm. before the race because they weren't going to get enough practice. And I think this is why they. You know, this is why a lot of the teams do want the practice sessions as many as they have, because when you do want to make a big change to your car in the middle of the season, if you've only got one practice session like we've had, then you're not able to evaluate yeah. different yeah. different um different car setups and different car components and situations. So that's why they want all the practice. It's not that the drivers need the practice, but anyway, I'm getting I'm off on a bit of a tangent there. Um Albon so Albon didn't get to run his different car. So maybe what's the next race is uh, Portugal, Portugal isn't weeks. it? Yeah. yeah. So maybe in a couple of weeks' time they'll get um, they'll get that opportunity again to run the car. It's going to be difficult for them to get a baseline though, because obviously it's a circuit that they haven't run up before. Just like you know Nurburgring, although they ran here many years ago, they haven't 
had modern car running here. So I think Albon now for the rest of the season is probably going to be fighting a real uphill battle to get that car into a situation where it's it's more usable by him and you probably won't see any results, any real strong upward tick in performance from Albon until maybe as late as Bahrain. Yeah. Yeah. Difficult. Difficult time mm. for him. That that podium in uh, Mugello seems like a long time ago by now, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but again, like, you know, circumstantial, isn't it? Like, Mugello was one of those races that was just a bit topsy-turvy and a lot of retirements. And, and this race as well, to be fair, a hell of a lot of retirements at this one. Yeah. Um, but it's just... <laughs> It's just not gone his way since then, really, has it? No, fortunately not. Uh, we had the Kimi and George collision. Um, yes. Raikkonen yeah. locking up into turn one and uh, punting Russell out of the race. Um, <laughs> I'm sure the a... internet has gone absolutely mental over that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Look at him. He turned into him. Oh, he's a cheat. Mm. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I think, no. to be honest, from what I've seen, everyone's been pretty much like, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I don't think there was, there was, wasn't much of a malice. It was just kind of... Yeah, it was correcting oversteers. There's nothing wrong with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, he got a 10-second penalty and two penalty points for it. Um, if anything, I would argue that the Albon incident was probably more deserving of penalty than the than this one. Um, but Albon only got a five-second, whereas Kimmy got a 10-second. But yeah, it was a lot less visual the album one, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. and and he completely ended someone's race. Yeah, Contrast. that's true. Which, as yeah. we said before, seems to come into play in these things. Yeah. Uh, it's a real shame for Russell. I think there's a chance he could have been in the fight for a point under the circumstances. Yeah, he's he's been unlucky a few times this season, and again, it's another one of the, another topsy turvy race, and he's he's just come a cropper of of things that are out of his hands. You know, the, mm. the last time he was on for points, it was um, the other cars on, on hot tires. It's, it's that hot tire thing. Yeah. Again, cars, you know, lapped cars, unlapping themselves, heating up the tires and just absolutely rinsing the cars ahead. Um, and then, yeah, this time he just gets punted off the track. No fault of his own, mind his own business. Someone just sends one up the inside, lose control of their vehicle and sends him out of the race. It's really unfortunate. It is. He only seems to have retirements at races where there's a chance for him to get some points. Like, yeah. the car works perfectly when he's trundling around last but one. It's, <laughs> um, it's a shame. I'm sure it'll come sooner or later, but yeah, an opportunity gone for him there, I think. One one thing it is, though, is it's obviously it shows that the the Williams is 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 getting up there into the pack, and it's now like it's not just at the back by itself is definitely like much, much more competitive in terms of the, 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 the back of the pack, if you like. Mm, um, yeah. It's caught up the tail of the pack. You know, you can see that now, I think. I don't think they're just running around, you know, back away from everyone having a testing session for every race. There's definitely sort of some competition involved in it now, which is good to see. At least he's getting to interact with other drivers. That's the silver yeah. lining. I mean, there, there were cars that got points in this race that they beat on occasion these days. So yeah, it shows they're sort of they're up there in the mix a little more. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, to go through a few other bits, um, Gasly was really impressive from 12th on the grid up to 6th place. He was pretty much the only person that was able to make a stint on the hard tyre work. Um, yeah, just, just another really impressive drive from him, maximising what that car can do. Uh, Grosjean stayed out under the safety car and managed to hold on for ninth for his first points of the season, which was uh, he was very pleased with, despite him thinking he'd broken his finger early in the race. <laughs> I, yeah. still, I still, I still like love that. Where I said to you at the time, Chris, like he's the king of getting an excuse in on lap one just in case things <laughs> don't go his way. Like he really is. La- lap one radio, Roman Grosjean is always it's always a setup just in case things yeah. don't go his way. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, mate, I think I broke my finger, gravel hit it, it's definitely broken, can't feel it. It's <laughs> Really painful. Everything's going to go wrong from here. Finishes in the points like, oh, no, no, my finger will find me. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Broken finger is definitely a new one. Um, Norris retired with a power unit issue. Another person with a brand new engine which uh, went pop mm. on him. Means he's mm. also looking at grid penalties uh, later in the season. Um, again, real shame. He was well up in that fight for the, maybe if not for the podium, for sort of, fourth fifth place um yeah yeah that that is bad this could sort of this could definitely gonna uh gonna i wouldn't say kill his season but it's not gonna do it any good no it's i think we say last week mercedes seem to be struggling to get both cars to finish well at the moment mclaren but yeah mclaren McLaren. sorry yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) mercedes definitely aren't having that problem well they did this race yeah well they did this week yeah (laughs) And then a few stats because we love a good stat. Uh, a, a sort of another record that went under the radar with Hamilton's record. This is the 228th consecutive race that a Mercedes-engined car has scored a point, which goes back to the 2008 Chinese Grand Prix, which matches the record set by Ford Cosworth, who achieved the same number of consecutive points finishes uh, across 16 years from the 1967 Canadian Grand Prix to the 1983 Dutch Grand Prix. Wow. So, wow. again, next race should be yet another record that uh, that Mercedes take. So this is 12 years they've achieved that from. Quick maths. Yeah. Yeah, just because there's a lot more races these days, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's also worth saying that back when... Um, Full Cosworth set that record. There are only points for the top six rather than the top ten that Mercedes have done it in. So, oh wow, that's so impressive. Yeah, all the more impressive that Ford did that in that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. in an, in an era where reliability wasn't at yeah. its greatest, for sure. Exactly, there, there was yeah. a, there was a time when Ford powered ninety percent of the field well, as well. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is that as well. <laughs> so he swings both ways, I guess. Um, and as I'm sure everyone knows, because it's just been mentioned constantly for the last week, it was Kimi Raikkonen's 220, sorry, 323rd start, which means he takes the record for most Grand Prix starts from Rubens Hello, a record which Kimi Raikkonen did not seem to care about one bit. No, he's not <laughs> there interested. There was all this content of people asking him about it and getting him on a Zoom call with Rubens Hello and stuff, and he just clearly had no interest in talking about it. He's he's more interested in being a comedian than he was his record. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and that's about it for race stuff, I think, unless there's anything else that you guys had in mind to talk about. Um, No, I think you've covered it there, Chris. What about you, Tom? Have you got anything to add? Anything extra? Not really. I was was quite happy that we got to go back to the Nürburgring, to be honest. It's a circuit that I personally quite like, um, so it's nice to see him racing Mm. there again. And I mean, from memory, I think the only reason we stopped going there for F1 was 
monetary restrictions and issues with like fees mm-hmm. and stuff that F1 had set at the time. So mm-hmm. it would be nice to potentially go back to that scenario that we had not so long ago where Germany alternated the German GP between Hockenheim and the Nürburgring um, yeah. or, or something like that because it is a nice circuit and I, I like it because it's got like a couple of little different bits that resemble other circuits. Like it's another one of those that's got like kind of little bits that remind you of different circuits here and there, but all together it kind of puts them together in a way that makes for its own circuit with its own like little nuances and things like that, which is kind of why I like it. Mm. I also like as well that although it's obviously much wider and has much more runoff and everything than the original Nordschleife circuit, it still kind of has a bit of that character to it. There's something about just the look of the mm. certain ways put together that still has that sort of Nordschleife feel to it. It's yeah, yeah, it's like the hills and there's some high, yeah. there's a good comp there's a good mix of like high speed corners and, and technical sections as well. Um my 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 personal favourite is the bit after the hairpin. So there's um you go down yeah. down the hill to the bottom of the circuit, you go around the big right hander on the hairpin, and then you just open up the car and you're like left, right, full throttle the whole way through. You've yeah. got a car full throttle all the way through there. And that's across like, you know, all formula as well. If you've yeah. got a decent yeah. enough car, then you will get through there full throttle. Really cool um, sequence. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the the sort of big braking zone to the sort of medium speed left-hander after that. And then you've just got that long run down with the, with the nothing right-hander. Like, mm-hmm. oh God, yeah. it's just so good. It's just such, it's such a good track. And that, that second, those second two sectors, I think are really, really fun. The first sector is a bit Mickey Mouse for me. But, yeah. But the rest of it, I've the track is never really been good. a fan of turn two personally, but that's the, that's the only bit of it that I'd criticize. I just don't yeah, like the way I just don't like the don't like the way the apex sits for turn two. But other than that, it's, it's a good circuit. It's another circuit <laughs> like like Mugello, where we saw drivers getting out of the car, and in fact, when they're in the car, in Grosjean's case, saying like how much they're enjoying driving it, and it's it's nice yeah. to see that. I really yeah. hope something comes of this idea that's been knocked around of having like a a slot on the calendar for like a. Like a guest circuit, or whatever you want to call it, where mm. you can just every season we'll have somewhere like Magello or uh, that would be cool, like a wild card slot. Yeah, yeah. I'd love them to do that because that's. A I think it would idea. be it would be a shame after we've had this season, we're having all these all these circuits that we've wanted to go to, we'll go back to for so long, and we're getting them all back for one year. It'd be a real shame just for all that to disappear again, and we just go back to a bunch of bland circuits that happen to have a lot of money behind them. I really hope they do something with the kind of excitement all of this has generated. Yeah. And yeah, we've not even great. got to Istanbul Park yet. My goodness. <laughs> oh, can't wait. So excited for that. <laughs> so excited for that. That's, you know what, actually, I was going to say that this race this weekend was actually the first one probably all season where I've got up on Sunday morning and actually been really really genuinely excited before the race to wonder what's going to happen today yeah and i don't know maybe why maybe that's why i kind of feel a little bit let down because i expected so much more (laughs) (laughs) i mean what we got i'm I'm quite up for the next the next run of three because you've Mm. got portugal then you've got imola and then you've got going back to turkey so i'm i'm so up for that run of three races that's going to be a really just a nice stretch mm. to see a circuit that we've not well could two circuits we've not seen for a long time 
and a circuit that we've never been to. It'd be, be nice to see. Yeah. yeah. I've said all along that I wasn't holding that much hope for Nürburgring or Imola to produce a decent race with these cars. But mm. after this last race, I'm a little more hopeful for Imola now because it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a classic, but it was still, there was a decent race and there was actual overtaking happening. And yeah, there were, it was decent. It was, there was some good side by side stuff like across a few corners and stuff. So. I think the thing that always helps is when we're going back to circuits a little bit more like this, and I've got a feeling Imola might be the same to a degree, is you've got that that more, and Magella proved it as well, like you've got that more old school, because of the bikes being there, like you say, there's a lot more gravel, and it is more old school way of doing it, I guess, from when it comes to Formula One. But it means that if you make mistakes and you're running off, it's it's a lot more likely to cause you a long-term issue whether that's considerable damage to the car or you're beached and you're stuck and that's it you're out yeah. like it, it puts a lot more demand on the drivers to be right every single mm. lap and we see sim- what could be simple mistakes in another race where they're just driving through some colored tarmac and then back through some cones and back on the, the circuit somewhere else that oh, unless you call a science <laughs> <laughs> um, um yeah. i could hear one of you sniggering and i was like that, that joke is going to be made <laughs> uh, but instead of seeing things like that we see in like situations like in magello where there's two or three cars going off into the gravel and max beach suddenly is out of the race where that wouldn't that wouldn't necessarily have happened yeah. at other circuits so it, it adds like a little bit of an element of some of these top five six cars are ending up out of the race a little bit more often because the tiny mistakes that they do make when they make them are being punished more severely. And I think there's a little bit of something to be said for that. I know gravel everywhere doesn't suit every single circuit and it never will, but I think there is something to be said for trying to get a nice mix of the newer Mm -hmm. style of circuit with some of these older style of circuits that that are a little bit more punishing in those scenarios. Yeah, There's definitely a middle ground, I think. There's definitely, you know, there's a way you can have both. I think yeah. in this like you can design into a circuit ways of punishing a driver when they do make a mistake certainly like if you miss a corner like I think turn one actually at, at Nürburgring is a pretty pretty good example of this if you miss your braking point for that corner you you're not punished like if you go off the track yeah. there then you're relatively easily going to gather it up like I mean Bottas an almighty lockup. Uh, if you have a lockup like that somewhere like if you have a lockup like that in Monaco, you're in a wall. Mm. Yeah. Whereas here, he sort of managed to break it on three wheels, managed to slow it down almost, and um, ran a, ran quite wide, but not I suppose not crazy wide, but still wide enough that he ought to have been punished a little bit more. I think, even though mm-hmm. he was ultimately overtaken by his teammate, still. I don't think you should be getting away with those kinds of huge mistakes. Like that is an almighty yeah. lockup, and to just sail back onto the track as though nothing's happened to me—that's not punishment enough for making that kind of mistake. Now, people might argue, you know, we want to, you want to see the cars going around the track, or the punishment is enough that he's put a massive flat spot on his tire, or I don't know. There's all kinds of, I guess, counter arguments you can make to it, but. The problem is they they take these crazy risks and leave the boundaries of the track and often they yeah. gain an unfair advantage by doing it. They, oh, they, they certainly don't become disadvantaged by leaving the track and I, I think, think that's a problem. I think they ought to be punished. That, that's, the, that's the way of putting it, Stu, is it's not that necessarily they gain an advantage, it's that they're not 
disadvantaged by yeah. it happening. Mm. Like there's, there's scenarios where they'll try and go further and further into and an F1 driver, a driver of any caliber, no matter what series they're racing in, you're going to push and push and push to the point that you're breaking as late as you can for a corner and you're making as much time as you can before that that stopping Absolutely. point. How, however, there needs to come a point where if you overcook it and you do something like what Bottas did or, or like something similar, you're locking up into a corner. I think there needs to be consequences for that action. Mm. Like on, on smaller circuits, you are in a gravel trap. Um, a lot of the like, yeah. and, and they're not they're not F1 grade ones, but the smaller circuits that you see sports car racing on and, and sort of um, lower tier open wheel racing on, they're they're covered in gravel traps, and if you're in them, that's it. And I th- I think the argument's always been like they don't want a beach car, which forces a safety car, which forces a tractor on track, and and all that stuff. I, I I can see the logic to that side of it, but you don't necessarily have to go quite to those lengths, do you? And I think there is something to be said for trying to find a middle ground, like mm. what you were saying before, Stu. Yeah, yeah. I think you don't need like a massive gravel trap. You could have just all you have to do to punish turn one in. Um... In, at Nurburgring is is just have like a, a very thin strip of gravel that's yeah. going to rate it as or they can put there's this special tarmac that's got really it's, it's almost like shards of really pointy sharp stuff it's got in it and that really wears your tires down really really rapidly mm-hmm. it almost like shreds your tires um obviously I don't want to pe- see people having I mean I'm, I'm not saying shreds your tires to the point where they're going to explode but it just it, it takes a lot of life out of the tire mm, and makes it yeah. so that it's it becomes usable for a lot less laps. So you're really punished for for taking to that runoff area and it makes it so you, you use a lot more tire than what you would otherwise. And that's a I think that's a fitting punishment for going wide in a corner because if you do that every corner, you're gonna run out of tires really, really quick, make a pit stop and lose a load of time. So Isn't that surely what, that's that's how it should be. Is that not what Paul Ricard is supposed to do though? And they, they don't seem very deterred there, unfortunately. Yeah, but a lot of the time, like it's such a, that's such an open bit of, bit of road that you're not actually putting any. You need to be putting pressure on load. the tire. You yeah. need to, yeah, you need to be putting load into the tire in order for yeah. like lateral load into the tire in order for that sort of kind of tarmac to do its job. If yeah. you're just going straight across it and not putting any load into the tire, then you know it's not unless you slam on the brakes then and you would stop really quick in a Formula One car on that kind of surface, um, then you're not gonna get any punishment in that regard, no. But there's definitely places where it where you can do it and and it'd yeah. be much, much more effective than Paul Ricard. I mean Paul Ricard's a whole if you want to get into Paul Ricard, they've got all the different you could do any combination of corners you wanted around that track and they still go for something that doesn't generate overtaking. So do you know what's do you? I've never wanted to get into anything less than I want to get into Paul <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely fair enough. So overall <laughs> overall thoughts on on Nürburgring. Um out of ten, out of ten, what would you say? What would you give this race? At this mm. newish circuit. I think it's a, a solid seven or eight. Seven or eight. Yeah, Chris, seven, seven is seven is probably where I would go. Like seven. It's it's produced a decent race. Albeit not necessarily the outcome we all wanted <laughs> yeah. to a degree. Um yeah, it's produced a decent race and it proved to be a little bit of a a car killer, which I didn't expect. I didn't expect so many mechanical like failure DNFs. Uh, yeah, that could be because of the point we're at in the season. 
but it might also be something to do with the mountain air. I, I, I don't. I don't well, know what's yeah, caused maybe it. Maybe the but... air's a little bit thinner. I think. Well, I think some of the cars had extra extra tight packaging to right. uh, to take advantage of the colder temperatures. Yeah, they'd actually made like the Mercedes actually made. They'd um they put an extra tight skin around the top of it to make it even more aerodynamic. Um, and obviously that's cost them if. Uh, yeah, if Bottas has had a heat MGUH issue, it's probably overheated. And yeah, push those yeah, what cause, too far. What causes overheating when you wrap an engine too tight? So there you yeah. go. Um, my out of ten for me, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go like six point six <laughs> out of ten. <laughs> I didn't realize decimals were an option. Yeah, two yeah. thirds. Two thirds of a. That's fair. That a, seems fair. Of a good race. Of a good race. <laughs> I, I think me and Chris was just rounded up. <laughs> yeah. So seven's probably about middle ground there, isn't it? Seven out of ten. There we go. Yeah. That's not bad. That and we got a driver of the day. Nico Hulkenberg. <laughs> I'm not yeah. even. That's yeah, it. Yeah, an easy one. Again, I mean, we start at the back, finished eighth. That's an amazing result. Yeah, I mean, even, even without the circumstances of why he was there, that would be a candidate for driver of the day. And yeah, we've had yeah. on the circumstances as well. Like, yeah, can't argue with that. Yeah. Cool. That's that unanimous then. Um, <laughs> move of the day. Uh, move of the day. Who have we got? There, there was there one was... that when it happened, me and Tom both said, there's move of the day sorted. And I don't remember yep. anything. Uh better than it for the rest of the race and that was when um ricardo got past leclerc fairly early on yeah around the outside of two wasn't it it started the move in one and then went around the outside of him in two if i remember right yeah he sort of did the leclerc defended the inside of turn one so ricardo sort of did the cut back underneath him then yeah around the outside of turn two very nice didn't um raikkonen go around the outside of vettel down at the, the hairpin Towards the end of the race, was that was it Vettel he went round or was it one of the Haases or Williams? I think it was no, it was Magnussen. I think was it Magnussen? It was still yeah. a good move. That, that was, was a that mighty was a good move. Yeah. Um, so that's got my vote. That was the that's the that's the only one I saw in between sort of doing my job and looking at the screen. That's the <laughs> one I saw that was like that was a decent move. So yeah, I'm gonna go Raikkonen around the outside of a Haas. Magnussen, did you say? I think I'm pretty sure it was Magnussen. Yeah. I think yeah, it, it must Magnuson, have been because yeah. Grosjean was way further up the order, wasn't he? Finished that eighth Grosjean. Yeah, of course, because yeah. that was after the safety car and he hadn't pitted. Yeah. Um, there was the little Perez and the Club battle, which was quite fun, but then again, that only really came about because Perez didn't do a great job of overtaking in the first place, which meant the was able to come back at him. Um, but yeah, it's it's the Ricardo Leclerc one for me. Okay. And Tom, are you? Uh, yeah, I think I think me and Chris had accidentally already decided at the time that was going to oh, be great. a choice. But overruled, <laughs> you were out voting I mean, before yeah. we even started. And yeah, before we, before the before the race even finished. I'm sure, I mean, there's laws we'd, against that, isn't there? Like we'd fixing. done like five or six laps before, we, <laughs> <laughs> and we'd already decided. So. Okay, and shall we have a little word from Sebastian Vettel for our favourite part of the uh, podcast? Honestly, what the f- are we doing here? <laughs> Racing or ping pong? Um, <laughs> that's the worst Sebastian Vettel impression. I've that's heard. the worst. I, excuse me. I pride myself on my Sebastian Vettel impression. <laughs> oh, what mean, the f- are we doing ever... here? Sorry. I where, is he, whole... where is he from again? <laughs> <laughs> Does it sound German? 
Someone hit me, and someone hit me in the rear, and someone hit me in the rear again. Where is Sebastian from in your mind? Honestly. <laughs> Honestly. I'm sorry, my WTF for this week is your impression of Sebastian. Oh, no, that, you're not allowed. That's not allowed. Real life WTF. I can't really think of an actual WTF this week. Oh, um, other than the, I guess no running on Friday because the helicopter, but that's not really a WTF, that's a safety yeah, thing. So yeah, that's a, it's a not sensible a big deal. thing to do. It's sensible, yeah. It's, it's the opposite. Um, Stroll's toilet troubles and Nico Hulkenberg nah, going to come replace him. It, no, I don't even want to give it to that. I mean, it's unfortunate. Hulk, Hulkenberg rocket. I mean, Nico Rosberg's commentary on the car that Hulkenberg <laughs> rocked up in was quite interesting, but yeah. maybe not WTF. Albon trying to take out both Alpha Tauris. Yeah, that was because he, he, he had a good effort on both. <laughs> he nearly took out Gasly as well. I think yeah, um, his initial uh, front wing incident was bad enough, but yeah, yeah, he did just like go and have a go at the other one as well. Ooh, I've got one. Kind of. Ooh. I think the safety car stayed out one lap too late. Yeah, I think it could have been in a whole lap sooner. Not that it really made that much difference to anything, but it just, it didn't, I don't know, maybe maybe I missed something. Maybe there is a reason it set out that extra lap. Maybe they'd not mm. quite cleared away, but really? I don't know. It just seemed seemed a bit overdue when it came in to me. I mean, some people have queried why there was a safety car in the first place, but I did see some people point out that um, it looked as though Norris's car was on fire and they tend it was. to... Whenever there's fire involved, they tend to err on the side of caution with these things, yeah. which is quite understandable. Rightly. Um, a lot of people at the moment are trying to make the case for them putting safety cars out to try and spice things up a bit and I don't think that's the case but I also don't think they're particularly helping their case with the way they've handled safety cars well, recently this, I think once the safety car's out then I don't really see that much harm in using the safety car just to have a bit of a reset and maybe sort of spice it up that way because I think this race did need that at that point. I think it did it was need a, the safety a, car, yeah. It was a bit of a shame that um we didn't get to see the Perez uh Ricardo battle mm-hmm. unfold quite in quite the way that I would have liked to. But it got that sort of got diffused, didn't it, by the safety car. Um but at the same time like that race had just so, gone so dry other than that one battle by that point that it, a safety car's always it always gets the heart going a little bit, doesn't it? And yeah. that was kind of just what the doctor ordered for me from what yeah. I saw of the race. So yeah, I but I don't know if it's good. Enough. Is that enough to give it WTF? I don't know. Probably not. It's, it's a difficult I one. There wasn't anything is, that WTF-y. I, th- I think that the mate. I think Albon maybe just for like I, trying I, to avoid yeah. getting demoted to Toro Rosso by <gasps> taking out all of the Toro Rossos. I've got it. No, no, I've got it. I've got it. Oh. Danny Ricardo not doing a shoey. Oh, yeah. There yeah. We yeah. There we go. Fun. There we go. There that's it is. That. There was one in there, there somewhere. We got there. There we go then. Okay. So takeaways um, from this week weekend's race and um, the midfield battle was the main sort of, I guess it was our main storyline into, uh, into yeah. this race weekend. And, Should we have um, a quick midfield well, update? Yeah, things have changed somewhat. Um, Racing Point have moved ahead of McLaren with 120 points. As we pointed out earlier on, McLaren down to fourth on 116. And Renault still lurking in the background (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, with 114 points. Alpha Tauri 
have moved up a little bit, have they, on Ferrari, or have they moved back? Um, I can't remember what the score was last week. <laughs> thinking of the results, no, that gap will have got a bit bigger again because they only Slightly had one score at each, didn't they? And uh, yeah. Leclerc was ahead of Gasly. Yeah, the Ferrari. Interesting, actually, with the Ferrari sort of storyline. I guess that was that's been ongoing all season. Their development on that graphic we mentioned earlier showed them going backwards. Mm, it did, yeah. yeah. And to me, yeah. that just that adds fuel to the to the theory of them trying to finish lower down so they get more wind tunnel points. I don't know about you guys, but <laughs> it mm. seems a bit suspect that it they've does got. A little. They're the only team across the across the formula to have got worse <laughs> all season. <laughs> but I don't think that's but, true. I think I, don't I think these upgrades I bought this race actually did seem to help them a little. Yeah, well, this graphic that we saw wasn't in relation to this race. It was in relation to previous races, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, true. So I'm sure if we saw that graphic again next week, then they'd probably maybe move back into a slightly rest, less red zone or maybe up into the green zone. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. Yeah, whatever that <laughs> means. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably about it for uh, talking points. We'll have some more talking points for you and storylines for you next week when we review the, uh, what is it? Uh, preview, sorry. <laughs> no race this yeah. weekend. Preview the Portuguese Grand Prix, but let's do some more predictions. Let's do some prediction stuff now. Predictions. Tom, right. are you going to do predictions? I can sort of some predictions, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's not a very good week for us three. I'll put that out there. Um, in the end, it's only me actually got a point. I'm surprised even I got a point, to be honest, after yeah. the way this weekend went. Uh, but I got a point for the Hamilton win. The rest of us got absolutely nothing. I got the right drivers the wrong way around. Yeah, you you, you came close, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> But yeah, in, in terms of the, the listenership, they did a little bit better than us. Uh, but Matt Sullivan was our top scorer this week with three points, going for Bottas as qualifier, uh, Hamilton as winner, and the correct number of finishes at 15. Um, I'd like to put a point out there for uh, Gus Muir, who was the only person... Oh, no, sorry, it was Talia K. I apologise. Um, who was the only person who predicted Albon would finish in 17th because... The way it works, if you DNF, we go by the order in which you DNF. Uh, and Tally was the only person to call that one. Um, and then only one person got George Russell as uh, first DNF as well, which was Peter Howie. Wow. So congratulations to you on that one. Um, in terms of the overall standings, uh, the top stays roughly the same. We've got Nathan Bailey on 21 points uh, and Richard Garvey in second on 20 points. And then there's a whole group of people kind of... Uh, together on 19 points chasing them a cluster. down a cluster yes, there, of people. there is a definite cluster uh stew you are 18th on 17.5 points i am 40th on 15 <laughs> points and chris is 103rd on 11 points so all that work i, mean, I did the... catching up has just sort of fallen away again now hasn't it yeah it's it's still all to play for though with so many races left there's still plenty of races left when you think yeah about there, it. it doesn't feel like there's a lot of races left but actually there's loads of races left and yeah. we, you know i worked it out we've got in the, over in the next nine weeks there are six races so yeah that's a lot of it's, racing it's good times it's somehow good simultaneously times. simultaneously feels like a very long season and a very short season yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Very weird. It, I guess it's because of the way it's compressed down a little bit yeah. as well, isn't it? Yeah, so. it's the intensity. It's the uh, there's just a heck of a lot going on. 
Um, uh, in, in terms of predictions as well, if you do want to get involved, it's never too late to to do it. Uh, there is always a prize if you can get five out of five over the course of a race weekend, uh, and then there will be a prize for the uh, best place listener on the standings at the end of the season. So uh, head to backofthegrid.com and register on there if you do want to get involved for the rest of the season. Yes, and you can also get in touch with us at backofthegrid.com for um, a message for our inbox, which we're going to do now. Is Keep me saying now. But stay, but stay it never Can't fails. Like, here, man. Oh, uh, at some point during that jingle, every single time I chuckle to myself, a, a different <laughs> component every single time. It's got layers. It's like an onion. Okay. It is. First one right, Chris, from on. Zach Fisher. <laughs> Zach Fisher says, despite the obvious disappointment from Bottas, do you think his optimism in the post-race interviews is a positive sign for future racing or a slight sign of defeat? Hmm. Um... Maybe he's just like, stop caring now. Might as well just go for it. Maybe that's his attitude. They've definitely. I mean, they've got the pretty much got the the drivers and constructors wrapped up. So yeah, why not? Yeah, it's that first lap gives me hope going forward. It was good to see. That's like the probably the feistiest we've ever seen Bottas in kind of wheel to wheel combat with Hamilton. It almost makes you wonder if Bottas is treating the rest of this season as just like let's draw a line under it and try some things, stick my elbows out and see what happens and like take that into next season or something. It's too little too late, isn't it though? It is. It happens all the time. Every season. We, I feel like we say this about him every season around about this time. Once the, you know, once yeah. the challenge it, challenges, I mean, no longer surmountable. Yeah. yeah. Like I think that I, I, I was happy when I saw, the a the pole position and then b the you know the initial fight at the beginning of the race that that kind of had me thinking do you know what he's won the last race he's really taking the fight to me maybe that you know that fight that desire is definitely still there and he doesn't want to give up on it and it's it's just blind optimism i think if you mm. think after that dnf that that dnf has done so much damage basically and i i'd definitely rather see him be optimistic like he is than be defeatist and be like, well, that's it, season's like a bit like we're all being on his behalf of well, that's it, season's over now, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you definitely don't want to see that. I'd rather see him be optimistic and still trying, but I just feel like it's a bit of a, an empty hope, I guess. And I think deep down, he probably knows that it's too little, too late. I mean, if if he'd have won that race, like, yes, he'd still have been probably forty odd points behind, but. I feel like if he'd have got these back-to-back wins, we might have been a bit like, you know, maybe he's gonna, maybe he's turn a corner. He's gonna push on and win a bunch of these the rest of these races. And even if it's too late to catch Hamilton, he's at least gonna like push it towards the end of the season. But yeah, after after this, it's it. I think it's important how he bounces back from this, isn't it? He's it's, it's a number of times over the last few years he's taken a while to come back from a bad race and i think that's one of the things he needs to to work on for sure okay wesley paul says while hulkenberg made up 12 places to finish eighth perez lost ground to ricardo at the end with both on the soft tires is Renault being that much better racing point losing its advantage by upgrading a championship winning car maybe a little bit of both i think the racing point uh, the Renault is 
getting that much better yet. I think they're yeah. developing it into a, a quite a formidable race car, uh, certainly at the head of the midfield pack. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think? Well, we've we've sort of last few episodes we've always done a who do you think is going to be next on top in the midfield battle. Yeah. And I've kept saying that racing points should be pushing that advantage, but I think I'm with you now, Tom. Like Renault <laughs> are the ones making the strides forward, and it's Renault look like the faster of the cars this weekend, and more importantly, they keep being faster different types of circuit as well. Yeah. That that's the thing that's been key for me the entire time. I've been saying I think that Renault have got a good upward upward curve at the minute. Is a Ricardo's in form? He's, he's doing the absolute best, if not better, than the mm-hmm. car he's capable of, as as he always has, generally speaking. But also the fact that what I what I initially thought was oh they've got good straight line speed here way back in Monza. Mm. It it's kind of progressed to the point where you you are seeing it at lots of different types of circuits and they're always there and thereabouts. Uh, and that's the sign of a car that's finally coming together development wise. Shame it's so close towards the end of this generation <laughs> yeah. of cars it's happening. But it does bode well for next season with the cars more or less staying the same. So there's there's definitely progress and and a, a definite higher finish in this constructor standings will do them the world of good because there's extra extra exposure extra money coming in and they can develop even further into next season so i i would hope fingers crossed if this continues the way it is it's more it's not just will they get a podium next season it's more how many podiums are they going to get are they going to be in the sniff for a race win like what Red Bull are? And I think they're starting to get closer and closer to being at that point and being put into that conversation, which considering where I thought they were at the start of the season is quite impressive. Yeah, it really is. It's uh, probably mixed feelings for Ricardo at this point. Yeah. yeah. That, that'd be interesting as well, though, to see where that car ends up in Alonso's hands in comparison. Yeah. Well, yeah, I suppose, yeah, because it's going to be this practically the same car, isn't it? They're taking yeah. a bit of downforce off of all the cars equally, and there's going to be a tiny bit of development next year. But by and large, they are basically going to be the same cars. So, yeah, yep. it will be. That's this very rare, actually. I mean, I don't think it's ever happened, has it? Where we've had one the, the sort of consistency in cars, but seeing different drivers move around in mm. what will be the same, effectively the same car. Yeah. yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Um, mm. And McLaren yeah. is still going in the right direction, to be fair, as well. Like, it's not like Ricardo's going to jump ship and then disappear to the back of the grid. Like, McLaren are still moving. I mean, they're, they're trying something really outlandish at the moment as well. They're Until this point in the season, they've been running a very Red Bull-esque nose and sort of following their design philosophy. And then they've been running the new front end this weekend, which is very much more the Mercedes philosophy and they're essentially mid-season trying to kind of uh, move from one aero philosophy to another which is a bold move um yeah but again they I guess that's part of the rules staying stable isn't it they need to be trying these things to keep taking steps forward for next season yeah yeah definitely Hmm. Uh, next one uh, David says who's taking Albon's seat next season for me it's on thin eyes whether he has a driver all in F1 next year will it be Hulk will it be Perez they're in such a weird place with drivers aren't they Red yeah. Bull um, I think I think Kvyat's days are probably numbered 
I'd, I'd be very surprised if Kvyat was in either of the those two teams next season. <laughs> maybe that's um, why Alban chopped him off because he's like, well, if he goes, I yeah, can have maybe. that seat if I can't have the Red Bull one. I think yeah. Gasly's doing too much right now for them to consider getting rid of him. Yeah, I'd yeah. agree. I'd agree with that. Sonoda is in all likelihood going to be, they're going to want to move him up. Um, but then I guess in order to move him up, they need to leave Albon where he is. But the decision yeah, I yeah. have is when you've got drivers like Perez and Hulkenberg on the market, do you persist with Albon or do you go for someone more experienced? It's, mm. it's a really tricky place they're in. Yeah, I, I mean, I just can't see them taking taking a driver from outside of the Red Bull stable. It'd be the first time they've done it, basically, wouldn't it? Yeah, you'd have you, well, you'd have to be going back to very early yeah. Red Bull days after they, they first became Red Bull after being Jaguar. Yeah, from being Jaguar. And they, were, yeah. they sort of brought in DC at the time, didn't they? Coulthard and mm-hmm. um, what Scott Webber. Scott Speed ran around in it for a bit. Well, yeah. Webber was already at Jaguar, wasn't he? They kind of inherited Webber to a degree. Yeah, Christian Kleen Bro- was around there in the early yeah, days. Yeah, so as like well. that. That's kind of when they first adopted the team and and took it over. And then ever since then, it's kind of just been a steady flow of. After those sort of first four or five kind of experience, let's get our ourselves running kind of drivers like Coulthard and so on. It's been a steady stream of your Vettels of this world and stuff, mm. hasn't it? And your Max and Gasly and so like all, all these drivers that have come up through the the system, I guess. So mm. yeah, and however you feel about the way they've handled those drivers, it is respectable that they've always developed the talent themselves. I don't think there's another team on the grid that's never taken a sort of driver from outside of their yeah. own driver pool. Yeah, there's it's almost like they that, but... they sort of march them to the top of the mountain and then throw them off of it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very much there is, is like there that. There's definitely yeah. that, yeah. Yeah. Some of them fly, most of them don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It could, I mean, it depends if you've got the wings, doesn't it? Anyway, <laughs> um, Brooke Archer, is it my turn or is it Chris's turn? You're just diving Chris. in there. No, you, you know what? You go ahead. You go ahead. Okay. <laughs> yeah, carry on. Okay. I will. Brooke Archer says, with driver signings for next season being announced, who would you rather not see on the grid next year? For me, I'd be ups- I'd not be upset if Alonso and Ragnan clear the seats for younger drivers. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't miss Raikkonen too much. And to be honest, I don't feel like Raikkonen would miss F one too much either. No. It, as much as it's sounding now like he might be sticking around for another year. It, you just don't get the impression there's a man that's particularly enjoying a lot of what he's doing these days, do you? I mean, it's hard to tell what he is yeah, enjoying at the best of, a, of times, but... He's a bit of a closed book, isn't he? He's got a good poker face, that man, so it's very difficult to tell. Yeah, Alonso... And Alonso I have mixed feelings about. I kind of... I'm the same. I have mixed feelings about Alonso. I, yeah. I don't think Formula 1 necessarily needs Alonso to come back. I think brand Alonso is almost too big to fail now anyway. Yeah, so he's built such a name for himself that it's kind of like wherever he goes, he's going to have a bit of a following because he's he's very much the superstar race driver sort of. I think he's world famous nowadays. Well, I mean, most of them are world famous, the Formula One drivers, but Alonso particularly is is definitely a tear up from a lot of them. Um, yeah, but do we need? Does Formula One need Fernando Alonso? I'm not sure. No, I, I'd, I'd never say that they need him back, but if, I mean, I, I don't think he'll be around too long, given the circumstances. He's quite old now as well, isn't he? 
Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how his return stacks up compared to... I mean, it's it feels not the same as, but reminiscent of when Schumacher came back to help Mercedes. Mm. But Schumacher actually helped Mercedes yeah. evolve into <laughs> what they are now. Um, and I don't think... I don't think Alonso's got that in him because if he did, he'd have done it at Ferrari. Yeah. So Alonso's here to drive and he, I think he's taking the opportunity of the Renault potentially turning into a decent car over the next couple of mm. formula changes that are happening. Mm. I have to say... And giving it one last punt at getting a couple more titles. I don't agree that the F- Alonso not winning championships at Ferrari was Alonso's fault. No, no, no. I'm not saying it was entirely his fault. I'm just saying he wasn't able to achieve the likes of what Schumacher did, but he had a, Schumacher had a very different team around him. Yeah, he but did. again, Schumacher was him. the the reason people came to that team as well. So to a degree, people came there to be with Michael. So I think Alonso's got a little bit of an element of that about him for sure. But whether it's the same degree as what Schumacher had at Ferrari, I don't yeah. know. It's true. I never really thought of that. Like Alonso's biggest successes do tend to come from you put him in a fast car and he'll drive that car to its absolute limits and beyond. His his skill set doesn't seem to lie in put him in a mediocre car and then help develop it into a fast car. Whereas that's something Schumacher very much did with Ferrari and like say Mercedes as well. Hmm. That's a fair assessment. Yeah. Back to the Riken thing as well. I think it's a shame for. Giovinazzi because he's been really improving this season but uh, I mean it's a near certainty now that Mick Schumacher is getting one of those alpha seeds so if Kimi does stick around it's going to be Giovinazzi who has to uh, vacate for him um, yeah. yeah, which which would be a bit harsh on him I think um, I mean I know I people mean... talk about Raikkonen being like a mentor to Schumacher but do you really look at Kimi Raikkonen and <sighs> think mentor? No, <laughs> no you, de- you definitely don't but I think Giovinazzi, he's had plenty of time to be yeah. sort of beating his teammate now. You know, what's this is like third or fourth season, Giovinazzi? Yeah, I think he probably needed to do what he's been doing in the last few races for the last few couple of seasons. It's it's a bit yeah. probably too little too late for him, unfortunately. Yeah. Next, Stephen Barlow says, how good did the Hulk do again? We need him back in a seat, but which one? Big question, isn't it? A lot, of, is a lot, of, lot of driver positions... Yeah, I mean, that's been the story of this year, hasn't it, really? Yeah. A lot lot of Hulk talk as well, I've noticed. Mm. Right. Let's do this this quick one. Let's do one word each, one team each. Nominate a team for for Hulkenberg. Who would you like? Where would you like to see him? Aston Martin. (laughs) It won't won't happen, but you said, where do I want to see him? Yeah, okay. Chris? But if it's where I want to see him, Red Bull. Ooh, also good. Um... I think he'd be a good fit at Haas. I, I could see him and Perez at Haas next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, yours is the most realistic of the yeah. options. Yeah, I, I think mine and Chris are definitely where we want to see him, not where he would actually be able to go. Yeah, that's where, where, where would I like to see? I'd like to see him in a Mercedes. Yeah, that would. Like to see a lot of drivers in a Mercedes. Yeah. But... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, next one, we've got uh, John Murphy saying, what options do Red Bull have to replace Honda engines? And is there a fear we may lose other teams from the grid as a result of what's happening? Mm. Well, well, let's let's not go too deep <laughs> into this. If you want to hear a lot more about this, listen to last week's episode. <laughs> but 
they've basically got two options one of which is more realistic than the other i think at this point it's go back to renault which is probably what's going to happen or and there were some rumblings about this over the weekend i don't know how much truth there is but there's some rumblings of some meetings going on at red bull about the possibility of red bull essentially acquiring honda's engine division and carrying on their research and rebadging them as something tag Heuer's again or something like they did with their Renault engines there's maybe a small possibility of that happening but it's it's almost certainly going to be Renault yeah, yeah. it's going to be Renault <laughs> I don't I don't expect it to be Renault like it, it there's a number of nice wild theories out there but I think that's probably what they are at this point is wild mm. theories. I mean the crazy the craziest thing is they've probably got the money to do it yeah as as, yeah. as I yeah, absolutely as expensive as what it would be to do, they Red Bull are probably the only team on the grid that do probably could set up their own engine division. Yeah. Well, Other we talked a few weeks ago about Mercedes sort of aiming to reach a point where monetarily they came out to a net neutral, maybe even made profits. And Red Bull are already there. Like Red Bull's financials from last season, they were in profits for their Formula One division. Like it wasn't by a massive amount; it was like a few hundred thousand few pounds. Quid. But still, like, <laughs> yeah, it's a tenner in their back pocket. But, like, yeah, they're, Red Bull are fine for cash. They could throw the money at it if they chose to. I yeah. think if they did, they wouldn't be fine for cash anymore, though. I think that, no. that it would cost them a lot of money and they'd put a big hole in their in their savings and in their, in their mm. profits big time. Mm. They don't do I, anything I, by halves, do they, Red Bull? If they do something, no, no. they throw everything at it. Yeah, which is probably why it'd have the best chance of working for them over other teams trying it in a similar situation I think. Uh, you know what though i think to buy an engine division is one thing to then improve it to the point where yeah. you've got a mercedes yeah. engine is quite another i, I don't yeah. think they do have the money to to develop that engine from where it is into a regular reliable race winning mm. engine I, I think just to quickly touch on it, maybe it's a topic for another conversation in, in, in the future but it does highlight the point that with the engines being simplified at some point, uh, looking ahead, is do we need to reach a point where there is something that's a, a fairly basic customer option available that mm. will attract newer and teams shelf, in? Yeah, yeah some, something that is essentially the standard. And if you're a manufacturer that wants to take that specification and improve on it, such as Mercedes, Ferrari, Renault, so mm. on, be our guest but there is a there is a stock engine available to any entrant that wishes to have it and then if you end up in this scenario where a manufacturer pulls out there's a guaranteed fallback that doesn't need to rely on another team on the grid yeah it's, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's only that's with. only going to happen yeah but that's only going to happen if we if we simplify what we've got because yeah, i don't i don't think it's possible with the yeah exactly cosworth should be doing that and i mean Fair enough. They never the the manufacturers got got away from Cosworth and the stock engine, but at least it allowed us to see some new entrants on the grid back back when it did, which was it's like the era that we we started seeing like Caterham and yeah. um, Manor as they were at the time before it all changed and and stuff like that. So I think that's the only way you're going to get more teams on the grid that are sort of of that ilk without a full manufacturer backing. Mm. Yeah. I think the only way 
you have a viable sort of customer engine is it, it has to i think if you're going to have that it has to be competitive because yeah. the problem that you know the problem with the Cosworth was it was down on power it wasn't the easiest engine for them to 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 work with in terms of its power delivery and setup so it you know and, and plus it was given to the three poorest teams on the grid who were yeah. even if you even if it was the best engine on the grid it was still never going to be yeah it's it's because it was built as a budget races, option, so. not not a spec yeah. standard. And is that and Formula One? Is that Formula no, One? No, no. That's options. what I'm saying. That the, the, you know, the en- the engine needs that's there needs to be a spec standard, though, not a yeah. budget. Here's here's a cheaper one that kind of meets the, the the standard, but you probably be at the back kind of engine. It needs to be a here is an engine that will allow you to compete to yeah. to some degree within the midfield. I, I do agree here with that. I, I but I think. There's only so long an engine like that can be competitive because all the manufacturers are constantly developing their mm. engine, and there's not enough funding going back to a to a standardized engine like that, or a custom, or a, or, a, or a stock sh- off the shelf engine, I guess, if you want to call it that. That is going to allow it to continue to be developed at the same rate as what a Mercedes or a Ferrari or a Renault engine is going to be. Yeah, F1 yeah. never stands so still. So you're always gonna. It's always, always, always going to be. The, the slowest engine no matter what unless they free up they open up the rule book somewhat to to those slower teams that have got a, a clear disadvantage with I think but that's a whole another game isn't yeah. it yeah I, I mean just quickly as well without getting too much further into it but this is where you're what we were talking about where if you take that engine you potentially get a lapse in certain aero rules compared to what we we're talking about like with your um your more energy efficient and renewable fuel type engines, if you're taking that spec, there's some other rules that are actually changed in your advantage. So if you want to be a manufacturer like Mercedes and do everything in-house, have at it. But team back of the grid that's buying the engine off the shelf is going <laughs> to be able to do X differently with the wing or or something something that, like what we're talking about for the more renewable energy-based cars. Yeah, well, Something then, that then allows them to compete of... more. That sort of begs that begs the question: if if they do go down, if they were to go down the route of having a um, a stock off the shelf engine, what kind of engine is that? Is it a traditional engine or is it a reliable, yeah, um, zero emissions engine it's... that's that's developed by someone externally to F one who who is commissioned to make us make make us a zero emissions power unit that can sort of do a Grand Prix. And maybe it maybe it is refueled during the race. Maybe the, that's the opening up of the rules part that yeah. will allow the technology to compete. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. To that that's the episode, isn't it? We work it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen to last week's episode. Um, um, Phil Mark, last one. Um, say so. Hulkenberg was replaced. So, so Hulkenberg has replaced Stroll because he's unwell to race, which is fair enough. My question to you all is, would it be a bad or a good idea if for one or two races that all the, I know what this is going to be, all, all of the teams use a sub instead of using their drivers in the academy just doing FP1 or testing? They can put them in a race to see how well they perform in real conditions, the likes of Mick Schumacher, for example, in an alpha and equally George Russell and Mercedes, etc. Um if anything, I'd I'd raise that one further and say, if we're up to me, we'd have one or two like non-championship races like they used to do back in the day, where 
you can't use your race drivers. You have to use a different driver. I think that'd be really cool to see. Yeah. Even if it's just like one car per team. Yeah. Like a car per team and you, you've got the reserve driver in it or an academy driver or something. Like some in the same way that in the young driver's test at the end of the season that's usually Abu Dhabi outpost race, there's certain criteria you've got to meet to be able to drive in that test. So like similar kind of criteria on the on the let's call it like an academy race or something. Yeah, the trophy race, the academy trophy yeah. race or something like mm. that. That'd be, be cool. that'd be cool to see. Yeah. And, and then mean, you get the you get to see the... these drivers going wheel to wheel in Formula One machinery God, as well. I'll tell you that's what, that's the, the key. It's a lot of expensive Formula One car to put in a race situation at the hands of a stone cold rookie, though, isn't it? Well, that's a, that's why you have to choose your rookies very carefully, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you get the best of the best, the creme de la creme. Wow. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that, but. <laughs> I mean, it'd be if, amazing if, if your young driver stuck several million quids worth of F1 car in the wall at Term One. They might not be on your radar for quite so long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, imagine. Yeah, sorry, Lewis can't race today because junior driver A has stuffed his championship potential car yeah. in a wall, and we can't fix. It. I mean, maybe, maybe it is like, like you said, Tom. Maybe it is at the end of the season after the season's over. Yeah. Then you do it because then mm. you don't. It's not costing you know, your, your potential championship winners, a, a, a car. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, as part of the Abu Dhabi, like postseason young driver test, they also just do like an exhibition race. Yeah. That'd be great. That'd be I'd rad. That. That'd be really cool. I'd be well up for that. And that's more like to happen. I, again, I still don't think they'd be very happy with putting rookies in the cars. Oh, not race at all. In a one-off, but you never get it past the teams. It's not it's about, about what we want. want. It's about what we want. And we <laughs> want a bloody race. <laughs> Don't we always? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think that wraps it up for this week, don't you guys? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. not it's it's not all from us this week, though. Um, oh, yes. There is going to be another podcast in your feed this week. Um, if you listen to this on the day it comes out tomorrow, if you listen to it after that, it'll already be there. We mentioned a while back that we uh, had to sit down to talk to uh, Morris Hamilton about all kinds of things, um, and that episode will be dropping in your podcast feed. Yeah, any any second now. So Drop, give that a listen. It, it was like a, it's hot. It was a really really interesting chat. We could easily have done like two hours with him, but we were time limited unfortunately. But uh, yeah, just so many interesting stories from him and uh, little insights. Really enjoyable. So look out for that. Yeah, and of yeah. course next week we'll have the. Uh, the preview for the Portuguese Grand Prix in oh, Portimao. Portimao is where it is. I was, he got there. <laughs> I got there eventually. I should know all this off by heart, but honestly, they come so thick and fast. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm hand to mouth, guys. I'm hand to mouth. <laughs> just white noise at this point. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, with that, we'll say goodbye and we'll see you next week. So, goodbye. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Ooh. Stop the music. Stop the music. I didn't do the bloody socials, did I? Yeah, I knew this was Oh my god. So if you want to find us on Facebook or Twitter, you can find us by searching Back of the Grid. You can find us on Instagram also by searching for Back of the Grid. And we have the website where you can submit your predictions and um messages by email. Um it's backofthegrid.com. Continue music. I can't continue. I'll just have to oh, start the music again. <laughs> there we go. <laughs>